Welcome. Welcome to the AV Forums Podcast Extra, presented by Phil Hinton. Hello and welcome to January's Podcast Extra. Thank you for joining us and sorry about the break over the festive season, but we have been really busy with CES and lots of other things in the pipeline for the coming year. Uh, but we're back with the Podcast Extra. We're going to look at all the news from January. The AB Forum's Podcast Extra. So as always, the biggest event in January is CES and this year was the biggest CES ever. And of course, we had our biggest coverage ever. So Steve and I are finally back from exhausting 10 days uh, where we were bringing you news views and of course videos from the show floor and Mark was back here in the UK updating the stories as they went live as well. So um, AV Forums members being kept up to date Steve uh, over the course of the week and I've got to say producing 48 videos almost killed me. Yeah, I think it did. It almost blew up your uh, laptop as well. <laughs> it was running so hot. But uh, I think, yeah, fantastic coverage all, all around. Mark did a sterling job in uh, back in England, um, posting um, over 100 threads um, into the CES uh, forum. Um, we had uh, news news coverage. We had some commentary, uh, some articles. I did a blog. And, of course, we did the videos. And all those videos can be found um, at avforums.tv. They're all listed there, um, one after the other, 48 in total, as you say, including uh, roundup videos by us halfway through and one at the end, uh, and, and a blooper reel, which uh, unfortunately mostly seems to star me. Well, seeing as you were the only one in front of the camera, that's a given, and uh, at least it was an improvement over last year. Uh, so, Steve, you <laughs> produced a blog covering the five days of the show. Uh, you also posted some uh, pretty controversial views from the show floor. Uh, the first of those was, uh, was 3D Dead, and I guess... The question was raised because uh, while we were on the show floor, we couldn't find 3D. You had to really go looking for it, whereas last year it was being pushed by everybody. Yeah, exactly, Phil. I mean, obviously last year was my first CES and uh, and it was just 3D, 3D, 3D everywhere. So that's all that all there was. Uh, and by contrast, this year, of course, we, we get there and literally uh, on some of the stands, you had to ask about it. There was there was no indication the TVs. I mean, obviously they do have 3D, but there was no indication of that on the stands. There was no examples of 3D being played. There were no 3D glasses set up. And of course, when, when we asked the question, you know, what's going on? The answer, quite simply, is that 3D has not been as successful as they had hoped in the last two years, uh, and now it's been relegated to basically a feature. Uh, and you buy a TV now, it probably will have 3D as part of a feature, but whether or not you use it, it's entirely up to the uh, discretion of the of the consumer. Uh, and the impression I'm getting is that most consumers, even if they have a 3D TV, aren't particularly using it, partly due to a lack of content. But uh, no, that, uh, definitely the, the contrast between the two years was was quite was quite marked, and, and, and that's what prompted me to write the article, really, just to sort of raise the issue of, A, that CES 2012, there's very little 3D, and B, um, why? Uh, and, and I think partly it's, it's it's a combination of factors, but basically the launch has not been well handled by the manufacturers um, and there's a lack of quality content. And uh, Steve, this year very much dominated by OLED, which we, we thought was going to be the case. Uh, Samsung and LG showing their 55-inch uh, OLED screens and uh, we named the LG as uh, best in show. And the only reason really that we main, mentioned that that was best in show is that it's actually a product that you're going to be able to buy this year. I mean, I guess Samsung are going to sell theirs, but they were telling us absolutely nothing about their products this year on the stand, which is um, rather silly seeing as CES is the show that you're supposed to show your wares and tell everybody about how great your products are and so on. Um, No technical details from Samsung, but they weren't the only ones. Um, Panasonic, exactly the same. I mean, 
we asked the questions um, of Andrew Denham, who was the representative there from the UK, you know, give us the score, what's, what's with the technology? And it was a case of, well, you're going to have to wait till February. Yeah, yeah, Phil, it was, it was very frustrating, really. On the Samsung stand, they wouldn't give us any any specs at all. Um, so it made it difficult for us to sort of create content when we didn't know what the TVs are capable of. And it was quite humorous sort of interviewing Andrew Denham on the Panasonic stand, where he wouldn't give us any specs for the, for the UK models yet. He wouldn't even actually give us any model names. Uh, and yet, obviously, in the background, there were the US specs for their models, uh, which I assume will be relatively similar. Um, but yeah, it did make it difficult for us in terms of, you know, trying to get content when when uh, when manufacturers won't tell us anything. Uh, and you kind of think, as you said, the whole point of CES is to show off your wares and, and to show people what you got. And the difference between, say, Panasonic and Samsung and LG, where LG were doing exactly that. They had products, they had launch dates, they had indicative prices, their specifications. And for me, that, that made them the star of the show. And it wasn't just uh, OLED this year that was uh, the new technology being uh, shown off. And, of course, it's going to be available later in the year. Sony already have their projector out, and that's 4K. Um, if you're not sure what 4K is, I mean, we're not going to bore you by going through it uh, here on this podcast, but there is an article uh, on the front page of the forums. So you go to the forums, avforums.com, front page. If you go down to the bottom right-hand side uh, to the home cinema articles, and there's a whole feature there that Steve's put together explaining exactly what 4K is. But it's nice to see the technology, even though content won't be available for a while yet. Yeah, no, Phil, that's, that's a good point. I mean, the, the, there was quite a bit of 4K uh, product of, around, and not, not all of it was being launched. I mean, once again, LG uh, actually had a launch date, second half of this year, for their 4K TV. Um, there was a 4K TV on display from Samsung, but they they currently don't have a launch date yet. It was more a case of just showing that they were capable of it as well. Uh, Sharp have a 4K TV coming that will get released, I think, at some point this year, though there was no actual exact launch date yet. And Toshiba have a 4K TV as well, which <laughs> is being launched. Um, and as you say, Sony have got their 4K projector. So there's a fair bit of 4K product knocking about. But as you say, the big problem is there's not going to be any 4K content anytime soon. And not, well, not until we have a new delivery system um, for the home. Uh, currently, Blu-ray obviously is the best we've got. And that's not capable of delivering uh, 4K in its current form. And maybe if they develop some sort of multi-layer uh, Blu-ray format, um, and better compression, maybe it could then. But at the moment, uh, at the moment, yeah, you're right, Phil. Um, 4K TVs and projectors, but no 4K content. So that was our CES coverage. If you want to get all the stories, all the videos, everything else, it's in the CES 2012 forum, which is under uh, the forum news. Uh, so it's home cinema news and tech news. It's in there under CES 2012. Go and have a read. Uh, have a look at Steve's articles and give us your thoughts on 3D and 4K and... Um, the other story, Steve, was uh, plasma. Um, obviously, it's not going to die overnight, but obviously the writing seems to be on the wall for that technology, especially with uh, technologies like OLED and Sony's uh, crystal LED coming along. Yeah, definitely, Phil. If you, if you look at, uh, well, since we've been lucky enough to see both the crystal LED and the Samsung and LG OLEDs in action, uh, the picture quality was, was very, very impressive. Uh, and the only conclusion you can make from that is once those technologies become uh, cheaper, uh, and, more, and more mass market, it's going to eat into into uh, what are already declining plasma sales. Um, you know, plasmas are struggling to compete against uh, a consumer who wants sort of these these ultra thin um, LED edge lit TVs. Uh, and I can only assume that when they can get their hands on some ultra thin OLEDs, this will be even more so. So uh, yeah, it's not dead yet. I'm not. That's not my intention to suggest that. So clearly, currently, the best um, image quality you're going to get from a consumer display is with a plasma. But you know two, three years' time, you've got to say that, you know, it's only inevitable now. It's an inevitable decline 
um, before plasmas basically uh, bite the dust. It's just a question of, of how long really it drags out for. But one of the things that prompted me to write the article was the fact that at the LG stand, um, they only had four plasma TVs on display and they were pushed away in a corner, as you put it, I think in the podcast, in, in the commentary um, we gave from the show that uh, it was a bit like the ginger haired stepchild hidden, hidden away in the corner and um, and definitely got the impression that LG are gradually pulling out of the plasma market. And that suggested if they do it, you would not be surprised to see Samsung, who they too seem to sort of move in step to do the same thing. And that would only leave us with Panasonic who are producing plasmas. So, uh, yeah, I think the writing's on the wall as far as, as plasma goes. It's just a matter of time now. Are you calling me a gingerist? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, so we'll be back again. I'm not going to argue the point. We'll be back in a second to discuss hardware reviews. The highest definition. 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 This is the AV Forums podcast. Extra. So moving on to hardware reviews, and uh, despite Christmas and New Year, uh, we we don't have a life here at AV Forums. Uh, the hardware <laughs> review team have been busy uh, with Mark taking a look at Sony's top of the line 46 inch HX923 and also their high end 55 inch HX823. Uh, Steve took a look at Epson's new TW6000 3D projector. Um, what did you think? It was very good, actually, Phil, um, considering the price point. I mean, you're talking about 1,300 quid, uh, which is about the same as the uh, Optoma HD 33. And uh, a very, very nice image. Um, black levels are a bit ropey, but uh, to be honest, it's an LCD. It's a very bright projector. Uh, and at that price point, you wouldn't expect much else. But uh, the 3D performance was excellent. I mean, uh, up there with the uh, with the same with the Optoma HD 33. You know, very little crosstalk, but a really nice 3D image. And you know, for 1,300 pounds, I mean, it is a bit more expensive if you buy the one with the Wi-Fi um, uh, emitter. There's, a, there's a, basically um, an HDMI uh, Wi-Fi emitter, so you can you can transmit HDMI without having to have it near the uh, projector itself. If you know, we say it's a long way away or up on the ceiling somewhere, and you want to have a long cable run, and that worked pretty well. But that has an extra three hundred pounds to the price. So with that, it's one thousand six hundred, and without it's one thousand three hundred. Um, that's pretty. I mean, I'm I'm staggered at how how cheap some of the three D projectors are now. I mean, there's actually a five nine hundred as well, TW five nine hundred, which I think is less than a thousand pounds, which is an absolutely unbelievable price point for a three D projector. Um, so yeah, great performance. I mean, yeah, Epson are the biggest manufacturer of projectors in the world. Uh, and I think the, co- the economies of scale that are open to them obviously have a, play a factor in this. But it was nice build quality. It was a well-designed projector. Um, it had excellent calibration controls, even at that price point, which is, again, very impressive. And overall, I, I thought it was a great little projector. Certainly, um, you know, if you're looking for a, a cheap entry point, then between the Epson and the Optoma, you really can't go wrong at the moment. There's some real bargains out there. Yeah, I, I I do see comments on the forums of people saying, well, trying to put the HD33 or, or this Epson up against the likes of Sony's uh, VW95 or JVC's X70. And it's difficult because, you know, they're looking at the fact of uh, crosstalk. Now, there, are, there is crosstalk on the Sony and the JVC. Um, but what you're paying for with the Sony and the JVC is the picture quality, which then transfers to 3D as well. You know, the, yeah. the deep black levels, the great gradation, the, the fact that, you know, you're getting shadow detail and that kind of thing. And that does translate, translate over to 3D. So it's great that we're getting these really cheap 3D projectors. Um, the DLPs are really suited to 3D in, in, in the respect that there's hardly any crosstalk with a DLP projector. But you've got to remember, if you're paying a £1,000 for a, for a 3D DLP, 
you're not going to get black levels. You're not going to get the color accuracy um, of these more expensive uh, models from Sony and JVC, and you really can't compare them. No, you're absolutely right, Phil. I mean, it is. I mean, the, the image you're going to get in 2D from a projector that's costing six, seven thousand pounds is just going to trounce anything in the one thousand to two thousand pound market, um, and that's just a fact. Uh, and given that 99% of your, of your viewing material is going to be in 2D, uh, you know that's the ultimate, the, the key deciding factor in terms of performance. But like I said, if you're, you know, if you're in the sort of 1,000 to 2,000 bracket, and you're looking for uh, an entry-level projector that also does 3D, then then the good thing is there's plenty of choice, and they're all, you know, they all deliver quite well, particularly in the 3D area. Actually, as you say, particularly with DLPs. And you can get some excellent 3D performance with, with almost no crosstalk on a DLP um, and nice bright image as well, which is also very important with 3D because um, of the dimming nature of the glasses. And uh, as I say, you know, there, there's some real bargains out there and some, you know, a great opportunity for anyone who's interested in 3D, um, to, to uh, particularly big screen 3D, to have a little dabble. So um, that's good news. But as you say, Phil, there's no way you can compare these budget projectors with the likes of the Sony or the JVC. Now, moving on to audio, Russell uh, in January has had a look at Anthem's impressive MRX 700, uh, their AVR, AV receiver, um, and put it through its paces. And I've got to say, I've been interested in this line for a while, Steve, because, uh, I mean, Anthem are, are famous for their um, high-end audio processors. So it's nice to see them moving uh, down market a little bit and trying to bring some of their technology um, into a more affordable package. Yeah, definitely, Phil. And um, you know, having read read Russell's review, uh, it sounded like you know, it actually sounded like a bit of a bargain, really. All the stuff you were getting and the performance levels that it was offering for the price point, which I think was about two thousand um, pounds. That's that's actually very impressive and up there competing in terms of price point with the likes of Denon or, or Yamaha and the other major brands. Um, so yeah, I must admit, I, I was very impressed by the uh, by the quality of the Anthem and, and its performance and also its price point. So I think anyone looking for for a new amp, a new AVR receiver, certainly uh, that should be on their list. And as well as the the uh, receiver for Anthem, he's also been having a look at Q Acoustics uh, Q7000 speaker package. Now Q Acoustics, uh, really interesting brand there, Steve. It's it's not one we've covered before uh, on the forums, but hopefully we're going to cover a lot more this year. Um, price point and quality seems to be uh, a, a real um, important factor with them. Definitely, Phil, and I got the, I got the impression from reading Russell's review that um, all their products are kind of built from scratch, specifically for, for new products for the market. And as you say, we haven't seen them before, and Russell was very impressed. And you know, as we both know, it takes quite a bit to impress Russell. I think he was actually running those those speakers with the um, the Anthem AVR, so um, it sounded like a, a really impressive package all round. And, and certainly, the quality of these speakers uh, was was very impressive. And um, yeah, I, I mean. Price point, I think it was seven hundred pounds for for a five point one system, yep. including a sub. So again, um, you know that, that's excellent value uh, and um, well built and attractive looking speakers. Uh, definitely uh, worth considering. Now, obviously, uh, CES has has been in the way um, this month. It's taken up a lot of our time. However, I, I did manage to get the chance to review the VW ninety five from Sony and JVC's X seventy before jumping on the plane to Vegas. Um, got to say, Steve, uh, both projectors, astounding quality at that price point, even comparing to, to last year's products, a real big step up, especially for Sony. Um, I think it's Sony's best projector to date um, in terms of 2D performance. 3D, not so great, but then 3D um, was really bad last year, and, it, yeah, and it's it, a big improvement this year. 
I mean, let's be honest, their, their entry level, their first 3D projector, uh, the 90, was, was um, shockingly bad, frankly, in terms of 3D performance. Uh, crossed off all over the place. Um, just not, not a good 3D projector. But they've obviously taken that criticism um, you know, to heart, and they've come back with some cracking projectors. There's the HW30, which is a fantastic little projector for the price of money, and we saw it up against the uh, the £18,000 4K projector. And I, I tell you what, I think it held its own pretty well for um, you know for a budget entry level projector. Um, and 3D performance was much much improved um, from 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 the previous um, VW90. And now you've got the VW95. Um, now I've only seen that very briefly at the Sony de Sony um, um, day we did back in November. Um, but yes, as you say, Phil, 3D performance much improved. In fact, quite impressive. And um, and the 2D performance was absolutely spectacular. Perhaps not quite as good as the JVC um, from reading your two reviews, but uh, but definitely um, for my money, the best uh, Sony I've, I've ever seen. Yeah, uh, the only negatives about the Sony is it still has as what I would describe as a digital image. Um, it's nice and sharp, but it looks like it's coming from a digital projector. If you, if if you catch my drift Steve whereas when you're looking at the X70 it has that um, and I'm coming from a CRT projector background it has that that sort of CRT analog look um, now not everybody's going to like that look because you know there's a lot of people out there that want the the sharp digital um, image because they watch an LCD or whatever and and, and they, they equate that to uh, to good picture quality but as a film fan as, as someone that wants to watch um, stuff in my cinema room th that looks like film. The X70 just gets so close to to being perfect in my books. Yeah, I suppose the other question we have to ask is, what was the uh, e-shift like, Phil? JVC need a slap across the wrist with their marketing of this technology. It's not 4K. Um, it it it's it's basically what it's doing is it's shifting the pixel uh, uh, diagonally half a pixel. So it's giving you two images that are really close together. Uh, half a pixel apart, it, and it's basically doubling the resolution, but it's not adding anything extra to the image. Uh, that's impossible. You can't put in what's not there. And it's a little bit sharper, and one of the, the offshoots of that is that motion is a little bit better. I mean, the the, the JVC DILA technology and, uh, to a certain extent, Sony's version of that, which is SXRD, not so great on motion, you know. If if you're susceptible to the the sample and hold effect, it it can look um, pretty awful, actually. Yeah. For for most other people, it it's it's the blur. There's, there is a motion blur there with with fast moving pans and that kind of thing. But again, you know that works sometimes in in the favour of, of material that you're watching because you know it gives it that natural motion blur. I mean, everything in life that that you see, it's not perfectly. Uh, straight lines and all the rest of it. I mean, there, there's a great deal of motion going on and a great deal of blurring going on in real life. And obviously, 24 frames per second uh, adds that motion blur as well. So, you know, it is there, but I think the E-Shift certainly helps with motion. Uh, when I had it up against the X9 from last year, which doesn't have E-Shift, I thought motion handling was a lot better on the on the X70. And I've just had a quick look at the X90, uh, which is in for the review, review at the moment, which is JVC's uh, top-of-the-line projector. And I've got to say, it's the same there as well. It it just looks a little bit crisper, and the motion's a little bit better. But it's not, it's not a technology that's going to revolutionise um, the projector market. That'll come when we get 4K panels. Yeah, I mean, I'm assuming that that this whole e-shift uh, technology is basically uh, a stopgap between um, 1080p and and 4K. 
uh, you know, and inevitably, I mean, obviously, obviously, first out of the gate is Sony with with the VW one thousand. Yeah, and and that's that's a completely different machine yeah, to, to, the, genuine, to the X seventy. So that's a genuine four K panel. So yeah. when you upscale, it's a lot sharper. The the feeling of detail is there, even though it's not adding in any extra detail. Um, it just looks like a crisper image without adding any ringing or that. You know, the processing is really quite good on that Sony. Um, whereas what JVC are doing, they're trying to make a, a 4K image out of, out of 1080p material by uh, basically cheating with this <laughs> with this pixel shift. And it, and it works to a certain extent, but it's not going to add any extra detail and it just looks that tiny little bit sharper, to be honest. Yeah, and as you pointed out, Phil, I mean, it's not even increasing the resolution to what would be equivalent to 4K. I mean, 4K is four times the resolution of... Um of 1080p i mean my my interpretation of the of the technology and from what i've seen of, of it is that you know they're moving diagonally by half of half half a pixel means that, you know you're probably doubling the amount of perceived resolution um but as you say phil it, you know it's it's not 4k it shouldn't be advertised as that uh it's very misleading to do that um but having said that you know if, if it produces a nice image with good motion i mean at least the technology itself offers some value um, on the X70 and the X90. Yep. But as I say, it's really sort of, I guess, their marketing stopgap between this year and I suspect what will be real 4K projectors coming out next year. As as somebody who switches off all these motion um, features that you get on projectors, like, you know, dynamic contrast and all the rest of it, um, I didn't feel the need to switch eShift off, which you can do, but you got to go into the service menu to do that. Um, I felt no need to do that. I, I reviewed it as, as the unit is being sold. Um, and the picture quality, you know, reference quality again. I mean, when we say that as well, don't mistake that as it's it's a perfect machine. There's no such thing as perfect. Um, but it, it's the one that everything else is going to be uh, uh, referenced against um, for the next 12 months, definitely, in terms of picture quality. It's the one every, everybody else has to live up to. So uh, just to wrap up hardware reviews, we've got to look at what's coming up. Like I said, the uh, X90 from JVC is in my cinema room at the moment being assessed. Uh, Russell is going to be shaking his foundations of his house with the KEF uh, speaker package and uh, another Velodyne subwoofer. And Steve, what do you have coming up? I've got some uh, Cambridge Audio products. I've got um, uh, um, a digital analog converter and a streaming device and also um, their top-of-the-line um, Blu-ray player which shares a lot of the same technology as Oppo's um, recent Blu-ray players. So it'd be very interesting to see how that performs compared to the Oppo, which I was very impressed with. So, um, yeah, that's Cambridge Audio for me. And I think Mark's got a couple of Toshiba Blu-ray players coming as well this month. So um, quite a bit coming up, even though it's we're in the quiet period around CES, but uh, still some good reviews coming up. Yep, so that wraps up the hardware reviews and uh, just a quick note, there is no home cinema podcast this month uh, because the holiday period in CES just got in the way unfortunately so we will be back again with the home cinema podcast 21st of february right so we'll be back in a second to go through the uh, blu-ray reviews you're listening to the av forums podcast extra and moving on to blu-rays and the uh, blu-ray review team like the hardware review team uh, don't have a life and therefore we're working very hard over the festive season to bring you some of the best 2d and 3d blu-ray reviews out there in internet land and uh, Simon brought us the 3D versions of the final Harry Potter movie as well as the 3D release of Pixar's app and I've got to say Steve um, two titles uh, I'd like to see in 3D actually uh, I disagree Phil up I've just bought so I'm very keen to see that in 3D because it was conceived in 3D uh, Harry Potter though uh, was shot 2D and converted 
and it's pretty dark in 2D. It must be utterly unwatchable in 3D, and uh, I wouldn't uh, waste my time on it, to be perfectly honest. I, I didn't um, say I was going to watch it to enjoy it. I might just wa- want to watch it to pull it to pieces. Well, I think you should have no trouble there from what I've read. <laughs> um, in fact, actually, funnily, the 2D, the 3D version of the first half of Deathly Hallows wasn't released at the cinema because um, Warner Brothers said they didn't have time to finish it, but I suspect it because it wasn't very good. Um, and they had spent longer on the second part, which was released as 3D in the cinema. But um, I, I'm just not, uh, I hate um, conversions. They're not real 3D. They never will be. They don't look like 3D. Uh, you can't fool the eye when the eye sees 3D all the time when, you, when you're looking at anything in, in real life. And um, and I just wish they would. I mean, it's not 3D. And, and I, it's just a cheat. And I wish filmmakers either make it in 3D with 3D camera or not make it in 3D. So those are the 3D titles that we're looked at, and uh, Chris also got the chance to uh, view the classic revenge flick Rolling Thunder, and Cass took a look at the uh, HBO series Boardwalk Empire. Gotta say, I saw the trailers on Sky Atlantic HD, I wanted to watch it, I haven't gotten around to watching it, but you uh, bought the box set when we were out in Vegas. I did, I bought the box set uh, while we were in the States, and uh, I'm actually 10 episodes in, there's 12 in total. In the first season, and it's absolutely superb. I'm really enjoying it. it it's a great, as is often the case with HBO, um, they really are producing some fantastic series, real high quality drama with great actors, fantastic scripts, you know, really good direction, nice production values. And this is another good example, another winner from HBO. And uh, I'm just looking forward to the release of Game of Thrones, which comes out in March, um, which is another HBO series that's been well received and I haven't seen yet. But yeah, if, you, if you're interested in, in Boardwalk Empire, I definitely recommend it. I, I think it's superb uh, and well worth uh, checking out. Yeah, unfortunately, I just don't have the time. You're obviously, you know, you've got you've obviously got more time on your hands than you can handle. Um, I wish. <laughs> anyway, both uh, Kaz and Chris also looked at the impressive warrior, or in their terms, impressive. But then again, I guess Chris loves films that involve half-naked men fighting. Yeah, Chris definitely has a, has has a. Um, I was going to say bent for, but I won't use that word. Uh, a, a taste for the, uh, the gladiatorial combat. And half-naked, greased-up men uh, beat each other up. It's definitely his cup of tea. Now, I don't know what it says about Chris, but <laughs> but he's a big fan of Spartacus, and he's a massive fan of uh, Warrior. Uh, but then again, so is Kaz. So, so we can always uh, go with the fact that Kaz also liked Warrior, so maybe it is more than just uh, a bunch of men beat each other up in, in cages. I believe it's about cage fighting, though, so... Uh, so clearly, that's definitely yeah, Chris. Definitely is their um, is their um, market target yeah. market. But uh, yeah. but apparently, it, it actually is a very good film about two brothers who are involved in the UFC Ultimate Fighting Competition. Um, um, and obviously, you don't have to see the tra- it shows it in the trailer. But apparently, you can guess that they're going to end up fighting each other at the end. <laughs> Um, but apparently it's, it's a good family drama and there's a lot of emotion and it's very good. <laughs> good family drama. You're gonna... <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I didn't <laughs> that didn't make any sense whatsoever. And, and also, I've just said you've got more time uh, than you can handle and you've just watched Boardwalk Empire. And I'm looking at the coming soon list. You've, just, you've got loads of desk reviews to do. I know. I've got loads. I have still got to uh, The Rocketeer, which is, by the way, I mean, I'm, I'm absolutely brilliant. The Rocketeer is one of my favourite films. Um Please go and buy it. It, it. It's well worth uh, watching. It, it's a great romp, uh, 30s set with a, a real spirit of, um, of the serials of the 30s, much like Raiders of the Lost Ark. It's got a fantastic cast. Jennifer Connelly's never looked more beautiful. Um, please, please, please buy it. it. It was a failure when it came out in 91. It deserves to be reappraised now. It's a fantastic film. I've also got Fright Night to review, which was 3D, native 3D. But unfortunately, as the name suggests, it's shot at night. So 
three doesn't really lend itself to shooting in dark scenes. You just have no sense of depth. So unfortunately, and that's the one example of a, a native 3D film where the fact it's in 3D really works against the movie. Uh, I'd actually would have rather watched it in 2D because you just can't see what's going on at night. Um, TT3D, which is a documentary about the Isle of Man TT race, that's brilliant. I mean, they are abs- they're totally insane, those riders. When you see those bikes going down those high streets at 200 miles an hour, um, it's absolutely terrifying. Uh, and it's as close as I ever want to get to being anywhere near a TT race. Um, but well worth checking out. There's some great characters in there. Guy Martin in particular is, is a real character. Uh, and, and it's a great documentary, really, really good fun. And also, um, oh, Final Destination 5, which is, uh, again, native 3D and a bit of a sort of guilty pleasure of mine. I do enjoy those films. I mean, they're all exactly the same. But it's kind of like watching some sort of demented um, Jeremy Beadle working out to kill people in the most bizarre ways possible. Um, and uh, I thoroughly enjoyed it, I'm ashamed to say. But uh, yeah, they're coming soon. Okay, <laughs> and uh, the, po- the movie's podcast went up on the 7th of January. So if you haven't had a listen to that yet, it is up there. Go and have a listen. It's the one where we pick all our favourite films of 2011, uh, both at the cinema and on uh, Blu-ray. Um and also the 3D versions, and, and the Toy Story trilogy uh, was one of the ones that got picked as as a favourite over, I think everybody agreed it was it was a favourite of theirs, Steve, and um, and I guess the biggest surprise was that no one picked the Star Wars box set, so take that. Well, yeah, or maybe not a surprise if you've actually seen the Star Wars box set. Uh, I do go into a bit of a 10-minute rant on that podcast about the Star Wars box sets. So I wouldn't repeat myself here. Yeah, that's, but, that's uh, great. That's all you have to say. Thanks very much, Steve. Uh, <laughs> we're we're going to move on to the games news next. The AV Forum's podcast extra, gaming news. So moving on to the games news, and uh, things are moving behind the scenes at this moment in time to hopefully bring you a whole new gaming experience on AV Forums uh, with our reviews articles, podcasts, and everything you could possibly ever want uh, from a gaming portal. So keep your eyes on AV Forums. We can't say any more than that at the moment. And also keep your ears ready for the 14th of February uh, when the Games Podcast comes along. And coming up next is what's happening on AV Forums. You're listening to the AV Forums Podcast Extra. So one of the biggest competitions we've ever run on AV Forums was your chance to win a JVC DLA X30 3D projector along with two pairs of 3D glasses. Uh, We had lots of entries in this one, as you would imagine, and the winner was Greg Tudor. So congratulations to Greg. Uh, We hope you enjoy your projector. It is one of the best projectors out there. I'm sure you're going to love every minute of ownership. And if you want to enter competitions on AV Forums, go and check out what the latest competitions are at avforums.com forward slash competitions. And Steve, uh, AV Rewards, it's been running for a little while now and uh, some big savings there. Yeah, they are, full. In fact, there have been some quite big savings already in 2012. You could, you could save £100 by switching to NPower. You could save 400 quid in the Thomas Cook holiday sale and £150 on a new mobile phone contract. So it's a pretty impressive savings there, I, I, I think. Uh, and a growing number of AV Forums members are taking advantage of the opportunity to find a deal on almost everything they buy. Uh, so don't miss the opportunity to uh, join up for AV Forums Awards. Um, it's on site and definitely um, a great opportunity to make some savings there. And lastly, Steve, we've got to talk about um, two of the biggest shows in the UK. They're coming up one next month and one in April. So the first of the shows is the annual Sound and Vision Show, which takes place in Bristol next month uh, between the 24th and 26th of February. And it's the 25th anniversary, Steve. Um, I remember 
uh, when it turned 20, uh, <laughs> which was, which this doesn't seem that long ago. So it's it's one of the most respected shows in the UK. It's one of the longest running, uh, with it being its 25th anniversary. I mean, you just have to look at the likes of Syria cancelling their uh, expo this year to see how difficult it is to hold these types of shows in the UK. So uh, it's going to be interesting to see how the show fares this year. Um, there's over 180 brands booked to appear and uh, quite a few world, European and UK premiers on offer as well from Name, Arcam, Rel, Optoma and uh, Sony will be showing their 4K projector as well along with their new AV receiver. So looks like being an interesting show. Lots of tickets still available and uh, you can get your discounted tickets at bristleshow.co.uk and you're going along this year, Steve. I will definitely be there, Phil. Yep, absolutely. Um, I'll be there on the Friday and Saturday. In fact, uh, hopefully, I'll get a chance to take a look at the Sony because one of the problems we had at their um, demonstration they did for our members back in November was there was no 4K content. They were showing 4K content on the projector at CES, but we didn't have time to go and look. So, fingers crossed, they'll have some 4K content on the 4K projector at the Bristol show, which I think would be interesting, really interesting to see. Um, because, as you pointed out earlier, the big problem with 4K is a lack of content. Um, but yeah, l- looking forward to the show, looking forward to seeing some of these products, looking forward to meeting up with some of the members. So yeah, um, and also for my benefit, it's just down the road from where I live. So, um, but these days, as you point out, um, with um, Cedia not going, having a show this year, really, it, it, apart from the gadget show, it's uh, the biggest AV show uh, in the country. And it's, uh, that was a good little segue into the gadget show because <laughs> that is the biggest news for uh, 2012. And that's uh, the AV forums in conjunction with our partners Anthem AV and Sim2 will be present at the Gadget Show Live. Uh, Stuart, Vicky, the entire editorial team, uh, some moderators, and hopefully lots of you members will be there. Uh, come along and see the demo room. Uh, we promise you one of the best demonstrations on the show floor at this year's Gadget Show. And we also give you the opportunity to come and ask the experts some questions. Uh, Steve, any idea who these experts are? <laughs> yes, uh, maybe you should put the word experts in inverted commas. Well, um, you obviously, Phil. Uh, Mark Hodgkinson and uh, Russell Williams and myself. So that shows from the 11th to the 15th of April. It's at the Birmingham NEC. And uh, yeah, I mean, that is now the biggest show in the country. Um, And uh, we're excited to be there. Yep. um, Tickets are still available for the consumer days of the show. So if you want to go to the Gadget Show Live, uh, go and look up on the website and book your tickets because it is an all-ticket event. It runs for five days and all five days always sell out. It is one of the biggest shows. Uh, which is one of the reasons why you will find AV Forums there and come and see our demo room. And so to wrap up on this podcast extra, don't forget that the AV Forums app is available if you're out and about, if you want to listen to the podcast or just browse the forums. We have versions available for uh, the iPhone, the iPad, the iPod Touch, as well as a version for Android devices. And don't forget, if you want to find out what's happening behind the scenes at AV Forums, what kit we're getting in for review, uh, how we're doing with the reviews, little snippets here and there of uh, things that the editorial are getting up to, or competitions on the forums and so on, then why not sign up and and follow us on Twitter and Facebook. Uh, We have accounts on both of those. And if you want to follow us personally, it's at Phil Hinton and at Stephen Withers. And that wraps up this month's podcast extra thank you very much for listening and thank you steve for your time thank you phil and we'll be back again on the 28th of february with all the news happening on ab forums and editorial with our content so thank you very much for listening this is phil hinton saying goodbye for now the ab forums podcast extra was mixed and produced by phil hinton and the senior producer was Stuart wright 
All content, including sound clips and music, is copyright material and used for promotional use only. The AV Forums Podcast Extra is copyright M2N Limited.